Do you ever wonder where all your money went? Like every single time you look at your bank account? Honestly, it's probably all those subscriptions. I felt that way too, until I got Rocket Money. Rocket Money helped me see all the subscriptions I'm paying for, and it was eye-opening. Between streaming services, fitness apps, delivery services, it all adds up so quickly. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Tonight, the White House on edge. The new safety measures inside the West Wing. The president orders everyone to wear masks after two aides test positive for the virus. Those close to President Trump are being tested daily, but how accurate are the tests? And why three doctors, the CDC director, the head of the FDA, and Dr. Anthony Fauci are self-isolating. Crowded spaces, a Colorado restaurant packing in customers on Mother's Day is shut down. And tonight, an image of an almost full plane sparks United to change its social distancing policy. Alert to parents, the death toll from that mystery children's illness climbing. Why New York City's mayor is warning a million families about the new condition. Stealing secrets. CBS News learns the U.S. plans to warn China to keep their hackers away from our vital vaccine research. The most valuable intellectual property in the world right now is to do with COVID vaccines. Shoddy medical masks. We investigate how substandard masks from China are getting into America's supply chain. Are they endangering the health and safety of our first responders? And tonight, we'll look back at the lives of two remarkable entertainers, Little Richard and Jerry Stiller, who made us smile and brought us joy for decades. This is the CBS Evening News with Nora O'Donnell, reporting from the nation's capital. Good evening, and thank you for joining us. We're going to begin tonight at the White House, where masks are now mandatory for all staff members and visitors. The new rule comes after two aides, including the president's valet and the vice president's press secretary, tested positive for coronavirus. Tonight, the nation's top infectious disease expert, along with the heads of the CDC and FDA, are all in what they call modified quarantine because they were in contact with one of the aides. The administration says the president and vice president do not have coronavirus and that they're being tested daily. And then late today, the president declared that the U.S. has, quote, prevailed on testing, saying any American who wants to get tested can, though he did not explain how. He did say the White House is making $11 billion of funding from the stimulus bill available to the states to increase testing. And as we come on the air tonight, more than 80,000 people have been killed by COVID-19 in the U.S., and more than 1.3 million cases have been confirmed nationwide. Tonight, in some parts of the country, infections are still rising, even as 49 states are loosening restrictions. There's a lot of news to get to tonight, and we have a team of correspondents covering it all. CBS's Paula Reed is going to lead off our coverage tonight. She's at the White House. Paula? Nora, the White House's decision to have all staffers wear masks is a significant policy change, but it comes as the virus is already spreading through the West Wing, and it does not apply to the man at the top. 
President Trump insists it's safe for the country to reopen for business, but the chaos inside the White House is hurting his case. A White House memo out today requiring staff to wear masks at all times except at their desks was in effect today in the Rose Garden, but it may be weeks too late. And everybody has a mask on. We've had just about everybody I've seen today has worn a mask. Two positive cases in the West Wing have forced three of the administration's top health officials to quarantine, senior aides to restrict their movements, and extra scrutiny applied to any staffers dealing with the president and vice president. Mr. Trump minimized the disruption. It can happen. It's the hidden enemy. The vice president, who was exposed last week, was back at the White House today and taking no new safety precautions, CBS News has learned. The president was asked if he and Mr. Pence should avoid spending time together. But I have not seen him since then, but I would say that he will, uh, he and I will be talking about that. Yeah, we can talk on the phone. Pence's press secretary, Katie Miller, remains in quarantine after testing positive last week. She was not wearing a mask in several White House meetings, possibly exposing West Wing staff, many of whom are still reporting to work. It is scary to go to work. The White House memo on masks does not apply to President Trump, who has refused to wear one in public. Mr. Trump claims that he tests negative on a daily basis, but no test is 100% accurate. People can test negative for a day or two till they have more virus, and then they could test positive. And so they could be infectious in the period that they're testing negative. Late today, President Trump insisted that the U.S. had prevailed in testing compared to the rest of the world. Why is this a global competition to you if every day Americans are still losing their lives and we're still seeing more cases every day? Well, they're losing their lives everywhere in the world. And maybe that's a question you should ask China. Those three top health officials in quarantine will all testify before a Senate committee tomorrow looking at how to reopen the economy safely. The three officials, though, they will participate remotely. Nora. So much has changed, Paula. Thank you. Tonight, Tesla CEO Elon Musk is defying stay-at-home orders by restarting production at the company's auto plant in Fremont, California. Musk could face a fine or even jail time. He's not alone in expressing frustration with the restrictions. But today, we learned a key forecasting model predicts the U.S. death toll could surpass 137,000 by August because of a lack of social distancing. Here's CBS's Jamie Ukas. Open defiance at this Castle Rock, Colorado restaurant. Large crowds, no social distancing, ignoring a state rule that bans dining inside. You know, we'll probably pay fines and you know, maybe even jail, but you know, we're willing to make a statement. Today, local health officials made a statement of their own, ordering the restaurant to close immediately and remain closed. Late this afternoon, another large crowd defying the order. And there's this image of a nearly packed United Airlines flight from New Jersey to California. This weekend, a doctor on board saying the airline had promised not to use middle seats. He said passengers were shocked and scared. Tonight, in a response, United says it never made those assurances, but it is planning on changing its social distancing policies. Across the country, a dilemma, the desire to reopen and the consequences. In Los Angeles, some non-essential businesses are now able to provide curbside pickup. People are super happy that I'm open. You're now much more hopeful that you're able to open the doors. Yeah, but I know deep down inside a lot of people are still afraid to come out. So I can't control that. I'm fighting an unseen enemy. The restless finally have a place to hike. 
as trails reopen. My heart is all pumped and like, oh my God, I'm going back. Late today, Major League Baseball owners reportedly approved a plan to start the season around the 4th of July without fans. The final schedule and where play will happen is still not clear, and the All-Star game set for here at Dodger Stadium on July 14th is likely to be called off. Nora? Jamie, thank you. Tonight, New York City's mayor says a rare but deadly illness that's attacking children could impact the reopening of schools in November. More than 130 cases of the illness possibly linked to COVID-19 have been confirmed in at least 11 states and Washington, D.C. At least three children have died in New York. Here's CBS's Mola Lenghi. The rare mystery illness being diagnosed in children prompted another alert from New York City's mayor today. We want to keep reminding parents and family members to look out for these symptoms and act quickly. State officials are investigating at least 93 cases of the inflammation called pediatric multi-system inflammatory syndrome. Children experience fever, skin discoloration, and in severe cases, inflammation of blood vessels and the heart. We're seeing that there's uh, evidence of um, antibodies to coronavirus. Dr. James Schneider is a pediatric critical care physician at Cohen Children's Medical Center in New York, where at least 30 children have been treated. So it yeah. seems one can lead to the other? So this seems to be a post-infectious phenomenon. The infection is gone, but now we're seeing the results of the body's immune system inadvertently affecting um, itself. So far across the U.S., there have been more than 130 reported cases in at least 11 states and the District of Columbia. I couldn't move. Jack McMurrow was admitted to New York Presbyterian Morgan Stanley's Children's Hospital on April 27th with a rash and fever and tested positive for coronavirus. He had complications of an inflammatory disease. His dad, John. He physically could not get up or move his legs. From what we found out later on, he was inflamed. Cohen Children's Medical Center here in Queens has treated nearly three dozen of these inflammatory syndrome cases, more than anywhere else in the country. But doctors still stress this is rare. These cases are rare, but that parents should still know the symptoms and be on the lookout, Nora. So scary for parents. Thank you, Mola. Tonight, production is ramping up on a new antigen test that can quickly detect whether someone has the coronavirus. It received emergency approval from the FDA just days ago, and it's already being called a breakthrough in screening. President Trump says production could jump from 150,000 tests per day to 300,000 within weeks. Here's Chief Medical Correspondent Dr. John LaPook. The new test is being called a game changer, allowing rapid screening for the coronavirus. The tests currently being used are called PCR tests, ones that detect the virus's genetic material. The best ones are very accurate, but take time to run and analyze and are expensive. This new test detects antigens, the proteins on the surface of the virus that trigger an immune response in the body. It's the kind of test that we use for rapid tests like pregnancy testing. Using the company's existing technology for detecting flu and strep, this new test gets results in 15 minutes can be done right at the doctor's office and costs less than PCR tests. The FDA warns there are drawbacks. The test is extremely accurate for positive cases, but can produce a falsely negative result. Why do we need an antigen test? So it seems like the potential for large expansion of testing as a strategy for the country, which would be great. Public health researchers say aggressive daily testing of millions of people a day is necessary to open up the economy. There will never be the ability 
on a nucleic acid test to do 300 million tests a day. But there might be with the antigen test. The FDA recommends a negative result from the new test should be confirmed by PCR, so the virus doesn't spread due to a false negative. Dr. John LaPook, CBS News, South Shaftesbury, Vermont. Tonight, as researchers race to develop a vaccine for the coronavirus, hackers from China and other countries are working just as furiously to steal that research to create their own. CBS's Charlie Daggett now on how the administration plans to respond. Intelligence sources tell CBS News Chinese state-backed hackers have been mobilized and laser-focused with one target in mind. Robert Hannigan is the former director of GCHQ, Britain's version of the NSA. The most valuable intellectual property in the world right now is to do with COVID vaccines. No question. The U.S. is expected to issue a warning about China after previously accusing Beijing of recruiting researchers and students to steal data. How critical is the situation at the moment? I think talking to people in the healthcare sector and in the academic world, they do feel under siege at the moment from these under siege. Under siege. They're hitting the supply chain, anything to do with COVID-19 related research for vaccines, tests and treatments, university labs, medical facilities, government agencies, pharmaceutical companies, every association, a potential weak link. Now add in working from home, thousands of people on laptops with vulnerable software. It sounds like a hacker's paradise. Yeah, it's made the playground much bigger. In the race to find a cure, it's not just the good guys giving chase. Charlie Daggett, CBS News, London. And tonight, CBS News investigates the shadowy invasion of low-quality medical masks into America's supply chain. Federal agents are cracking down on the sale of shoddy protective gear that's making its way to our frontline workers and putting their lives at risk. Here's CBS's Holly Williams. In Massachusetts, first responders discovered last month that some of the masks they were relying on, supposed to filter out 95% of small airborne particles, were likely doing nothing of the sort. MIT testing revealed that some masks distributed by the state were filtering less than 30%. Do you think that some firefighters in Massachusetts may have been infected because of these substandard masks? I can't say that for sure. I can tell you that our firefighters have been infected. Um, we made the advisory that these KN95 masks should only be used in a worst case scenario. N95 masks, technically respirators, are needed to protect healthcare and emergency workers. They're strictly regulated by the US government, but there aren't enough of them. So last month, the FDA approved the use of the Chinese equivalent, KN95 masks, providing their manufacturers met certain criteria. But the Centers for Disease Control has warned of counterfeit masks coming from China. KN95 on it, right? We contacted several Chinese suppliers okay. posing but, as importers. Some told us their respirators, labelled KN95, were not suitable for use in hospitals. I do suggest you use that. If someone is telling me, uh, don't use this in certain environments, that would raise concern. Professor said, Joseph Allen says the U.S. government should have ramped up American production much earlier. We now see counterfeit masks coming on the market, uh, and that's because there's not a coordinated response and coordinated oversight coming from the federal government. 
The Chinese government says it's now cracking down, seizing 89 million shoddy masks. What we don't know is how many of them have already made their way to the U.S. Holly Williams, CBS News. Today, the Department of Justice said it will consider a request to review the shooting death in Georgia of Ahmaud Arbery and whether the suspects can be charged with a federal hate crime. Tonight, the man who recorded the fatal shooting is speaking out and denying any involvement in the confrontation that ended Arbery's life. CBS's Omar Villafranca reports. Newly obtained surveillance video shows the moment a man who appears to be Ahmaud Arbery entering a home under construction. He looks around and after a few minutes, leaves. There was then this 911 call. No, it's, it's all open, it's under construction. And he's running right now, there he goes right now. Arbery's family says he was out for a jog February 23rd. But 64-year-old Gregory McMichaels and his son Travis told police Arbery was a burglar and chased him. This cell phone video shows the final confrontation between Arbery and 64-year-old Gregory and his son Travis McMichael. Both now face murder charges. Complete shock. I've never been involved in anything like that before. William Roddy Bryan recorded it and spoke out for the first time this weekend to our Jacksonville affiliate WJAX. His attorney Kevin Goff says Bryan had no part in the incident. But in the February 23rd police report, Gregory McMichael told police Roddy attempted to block him, which was unsuccessful. Attorney Lee Merritt represents Arbery's mother. Do you believe William Bryan when he says he was not part of the incident? No, William Bryan has some very serious questions to answer. Uh, no, I don't buy his story. Omar Villafranca, CBS News, Dallas. It's hard to imagine what comedy would have been like without Jerry Stiller. Even harder to imagine rock and roll without Little Richard. CBS's Jim Axelrod looks back at two men who entertained us for decades. Every star who followed Little Richard, from James Brown to the Beatles, said they owed an enormous debt to this founding father of rock and roll. Richard Penniman first took the stage as a 14-year-old in 1947. He synthesized a mix of R&B, boogie-woogie, and gospel, added a pompadour, pencil-thin mustache, and outlandish stage personality to revolutionize American music. Here's what he told Ed Bradley on 60 Minutes. You look at Michael Jackson. Yes. You look at Prince. Yes. What, what goes through your mind when you see these guys? I said, wow. Ooh. I said, I was way ahead of my time. Good darling, Miss Money. Little Richard died of cancer at the age of 87. A Festivus for the rest of us. Seinfeld fans knew Jerry Stiller as the father of Festivus, but by that time, he'd been a bold-faced comedy name for decades. Lance, you're, you're moistening my knuckle. Teaming up with his wife, Ann Mira, he'd had a great run in the 60s and 70s doing sketch comedy on variety shows like Ed Sullivan. I got a prostate the size of a honeydew and a head full of bad memories. Stiller's later career renaissance would include the film Zoolander with his son, Ben, who announced his father's passing at the age of 92. Jim Axelrod, CBS News. They will be missed.
On tomorrow's CBS Evening News, the principal who gave himself the ultimate homework assignment to visit 612 graduating seniors who are stuck at home. And if you can't watch us live, don't forget to set your DVR so you can watch us later. That is tonight's CBS Evening News. I'm Nora O'Donnell. We'll see you right back here tomorrow. Stay safe and good night. Hey, it's Matt Norlander with the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball podcast, and it is tournament time, people. So listen to the one podcast that will cover every upset, Cinderella, Bracket Buster Sleeper. We've got it all covered, every round, reaction shows, all the way up through the championship game in Glendale, Arizona. To find us, search Eye on College Basketball podcast wherever you get your podcasts.